0: Thank you. I feel so loved. It is so good to be with you guys this morning. Seriously, Sunday mornings are the highlight of my week. I know that sounds cheesy and cliche to say in a church gathering, but it's true. I really do love you guys, and I really do. um, It gives me so much joy to be here with you guys on Sunday morning. We have so much to celebrate. For those of you that are new, mentioned it. My name is Mark Logue, Mark Adam Logue. I am his biological brother. For those of you doubting, it's true. We are brothers. Um, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Cassie Logue. We've been together married now almost three years this year. Come on. Newlyweds, I guess, still, for those of you that have been married longer. Um, I am son to Mark and Cindy Logue, believe it or not, so this is a really sweet season um, where we get to be in community together as a family. Um, I've been blessed to be a part of this Restored Church family since its kind of um, onset, and I've been a part of a number of the other Restored Church families um, as they kind of um, developed their roots and got started over the last four and a half or five years. Um, was able to be a part of the uptown community God so clearly um, directed my path to be able to um, be a part of that beautiful community for about a year um, and then the onset of the restored South Bay community, I was able to be a part of that community where God really um, really did some um, incredible things not in that just in that community but in my life. Um, to help me be aware of his love for me. He showed me the reality of what it looks like for church to exist and operate as a family. I had brothers and sisters that I had known for just a short period of time that I feel like I knew better than uh, friends that I'd had for my entire life. Um, So love being a part of that community. I grew up here in the Temecula Valley, in Wildemar to be more specific, before it was Wildemar, when it was Lake Elsinore, um, 909 area code, come on. Um, then they turned it into a township called it Wildemar. I grew up playing sports, um, loved playing sports, basketball, baseball were my thing. Um, I also, as Tom mentioned, loved music. Um, music, instrumentation has been a big part of my life um, since I was about seven years old. I remember picking up a guitar and it just kind of made sense. I was like, this is great. Cool. I love this. Um, and frankly, I wanted to be like my dad. I, was a, I, I remember vividly as like a four-year-old. I have very few memories. But sitting in his music room while he's just, you know, jamming away, riffing away, and just staring at him, playing his guitar. My hearing was probably adversely affected by that. But um, <laughs> sitting in front of a speaker here watching him play. But I, I love music from a very young age. And another thing about me is that I'm also a foodie. I... <laughs> love tasty food. Um, anybody else? Don't be shy. Okay. A lot of you. Good. Good. We're together. All right. We'll go out sometime. Um, but I, I go back and forth with Tom. We've, we've talked about if you could have like one food for the rest of your life every day, what would that be? And we tended in the past to land on sushi, right? It's like I could have raw salmon all day, every day, just give it to me Chilly, cold, love it. Amazing. But over the last couple of weeks as I've been thinking about this message and thinking about food a lot, I think Mexican food might be up on that list as well. Because there's never been a moment where someone's like, hey, you want to go get a burrito? And I'm like, I don't know, dude. It's like, I just had one for lunch and I'm down to have one again, you know, um, So I love burritos, specifically there's a burrito at a restaurant in town, I won't name names, but they have this burrito called the Queso Cali Burrito, it's a queso version of their California burrito, and let me tell you about it, just real quick, so they take cheese, you know, that white Mexican cheese, I don't know what kind of cheese it is, but it's amazing, and they put it on their skillet, which is piping hot, and it just melts and kind of boils up into a bubbly, melty, beautiful sensation, And then they scrape that off and they throw it on a fresh, warm flour tortilla. It's soft. It's glorious. Come on. Yes, praise him. And then, bam, I go with the healthy one. I don't do the carne asada. I do the grilled chicken because I'm trying to watch my figure. And then they take hot french fries fresh out of the deep fryer. They splash that in there, some guacamole, some sour cream, and this, my favorite, like the cherry on top, this delectable uh, creamy chipotle sauce, and they slam all this together in this flour tortilla and roll it up into a burrito that's about the size <laughs> of my forearm here. Um, and I got to tell you, it's one of my favorite things. Um, it's really delectable, but it's huge. And to be honest with you, I will more often than not, knowing about three quarters away through that burrito that I am full, like, oh, full. I will continue to eat this burrito all the way through. And I keep going after that three-quarter mark, and I eat it. Let me be vulnerable and honest with you for just a moment. Uh, This is an area of weakness for me. No, seriously, it is. Um, While this may seem small and trivial, there is a reality that if I'm honest, my relationship with this burrito, this creation... Reveals something about my heart, about my worship in that moment where I know I've had my fill, but I keep going because it's so good. In that moment, I'm being obedient to something, I'm sacrificing for something, I'm holding something in the highest esteem. This burrito, more of it, will bring me pleasure, will bring me comfort. Fulfillment. It will satisfy my hunger. But this isn't just a physical hunger here that I'm talking about, there's a spiritual hunger as well. You see, all of us are spiritually hungry, and we look to all sorts of things to satisfy that hunger. The Bible calls this worship. So if you want to know what you worship, just ask yourself, what are you most hungry for? That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you would, um, grab your Bibles with me. We're going to dive in to some scripture. Um, We're going to be looking at 1 Chronicles 16. Um, so if you don't have your Bibles, grab your smartphone, or there will be words up on the screen for you to follow along. But before we dive into the scripture, I'm going to pray for our time. Will you pray with me for our time? Will you pray for me? I really do want to honor you guys this morning. I want God's voice to be heard, not mine. So let's pray together. Hmm. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful people that you've um, called me into. Thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for us, that we might be a family of people of your own, selecting, of your choosing. Thank you that you love us and your care for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, for our time now, would you help eliminate distractions, both in my heart and the hearts of my friends here, my brothers and sisters? Holy Spirit, would you use this time to illuminate the beauty of Jesus, that he is the most valuable and treasured thing, He's so worthy of our worship. And would you protect us? Would you protect me from my pride now, Holy Spirit, please? And would you um, use my voice to speak your truth into this place? And would you help it sink deep into our hearts so much so that we see the details and the nuances and the beauty of Jesus and that moves something in our hearts, gives us a desire to respond freely with all of our lives as a hollow of your goodness and your glory. I love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So 1 Chronicles 16, starting verse 23, we'll go through verse 33. Let me set the stage quick for us um, on, about, on what we're about to read. So in this kind of time right here, this context, King David and the people of God, people of Israel, are celebrating the Ark of the Covenant That's the symbol of God being with his people, where they go. Um, The Ark of the Covenant arriving in the city of David, and they were rejoicing, they were feasting, they were singing, they were partying hard. They were having um, a jolly old time. And they did this, um, all of this, with gratitude and thanksgiving for all that God had done for the people of Israel, his grace on them, his faithfulness to them, him saving them, And this this piece of scripture is a portion of a song that King David wrote, um, giving thanks to God. So let's dive in. 1 Chronicles 16, verses 23 through 33. I'm in the Christian Standard Bible. Come on. Let's dive in. Let the whole earth sing to the glory to the Lord. Excuse me. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. So pause those first two verses. He's talking about how we praise and the magnitude, the whole earth sing to the Lord. Proclaim his salvation from day to day onward, ongoing, continuous. Declare his glory among the nations, the whole world among the nations, his wondrous works. We talk about what he's done among all the peoples of the world. And now we're going to see after verse 24, this transition happens where the writer draws our attention to the why. Why do we worship in that way? The difference between God and idols. Idols being man-made, God being full of power and majesty, awesomeness. Let's dive in verse 25. For the Lord is great and highly praised. He's feared above all gods. Lowercase g gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. The splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe, that just means to attribute or acknowledge an attribute. Ascribe to the Lord families of peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Oh, I love that. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful song. So these scriptures, they communicate a lot about worship. They portray a vision for worship. God's vision, I'd say, for our worship. Friends, worship is always happening. We were created to worship. And the intention of God is that we would worship him always, in all things, through all things. So we're going to focus in on three things today around this idea of worship. First, we're going to see how what we do is a lens into the object of our worship. Second, we're going to talk about how the gospel covers our misplaced worship in these idols, things other than God himself. And three, we're going to talk about how the gospel frees us from those idols to worship God the way it was intended to be. So let's dive in. Let's talk about how the things we do reveal the object of our worship. Here's the thing. It's not always obvious, right? Like the burrito eating may seem trivial. He's just hungry. He wants more. But there's more to it. It's deeper than that. So I've, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this idea of worship. We defined it a little bit. Worship is this idea of attributing or ascribing ultimate worth to something, right? Something that is treasured in our hearts above all things. We talk, it's kind of this idea of the worthiness of something or the worth-ship, worship. Um, you break down that word worth, the value or rating of something, best, worst, most, least, etc. Does that make sense? Um, ship that second part of the word, think of like ownership, friendship, discipleship, that condition or the state of something. So our worship is, a, is, is an expression and a declaration of the state or condition of god's value or worthiness to us. i 'll say it again. <laughs> our worship is an expression and a declaration of the state or condition of God's value or worthiness to us. Husbands, I'm gonna pick on you for a minute. Pick on myself, really. But. So let's, let's think about a normal day in the life of us as husbands. You're, we observe our wife um, in our homes. She's drained, she's tired. I think of my wife, this is a regular occurrence for us. But she's been at it all day, either with kids worth work she's come home she's cleaned the house she's made me dinner and she asks after dinner's done the day is kind of now moving into the evening and twilight she asks will you help me excuse me will you help me do the dishes and I think man I'm tired I really don't want to do the dishes uh, I'm comfortable in my couch, it's really kind of hard for me to get up at this point, I'm full, I've overeaten, I mean, <laughs> I'm tired, <laughs> my body's trying to digest. Um, I think to myself, I'd rather not, I kind of just want to sit here and watch this show that I started, I mean, I'm halfway through, why would you want me to stop my show to get up and do the dishes? So I say, I don't know, honey, I'm pretty tired, I'd rather not, I kind of just want to sit here and watch the show, is that Okay. Friends, my response to my wife in that moment is a lens into what my heart treasures most in that moment. More than anything, in that moment, my heart values and treasures my own comfort. I don't want to get uncomfortable for my wife. I'm comfortable in my chair, full to the brim. And then I think, what lengths did Jesus go to to serve my greatest needs, when he was tired and didn't know if he could go on down the road of Calvary with a cross on his back after being beaten and bruised and having a crown of thorns placed on his head? What if he responded the way that I did? He's like, "Ah, nope, I can't do it. This is too hard. This is uncomfortable. I don't want this discomfort anymore. I'm gonna go back, be with my father in heaven and party for eternity. These people aren't worth it. We'd be in bad shape. Jesus has called me to love and serve my wife the way that he has loved his church, his bride. Me sitting on the couch neglecting my wife, not observing Jesus is a lens through which I can observe the object of my worship. The things we do reveal the object of our worship. And here's the things is that we're always worshiping something. And oftentimes our worship is misplaced on the creation, comfort, approval, success, rather than the creator God, Jesus, the lover of our soul. Something or someone other than God himself that has ultimate value in our heart, thoughts, or affections is what the Bible would call an idol. It's the thing loved or the person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, and enjoyed more than God. Romans 1.25 says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator, who is praised forever. That idea of him just being glorified and magnified forever and we've chosen something different. So I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. We're going to kind of walk into a parallel universe for another minute here. Imagine you are born and raised in some rural area in another country, not here in Temecula, but let's say a rural area of Croatia, right? Out of the city, you don't have a lot of context for pop culture um, and you're gifted with the opportunity to come here to the Temecula Valley for a visit. Come on. So you come here and you get here on a Sunday morning and you observe many people slowly rising to head to a building for what they call a church gathering. Now, these people eagerly approach this building for some kind of a ceremony. Um, Clearly what happens at the beginning of that ceremony is not too terribly important because most people don't come until after the ceremony started anyway. But you watch them file in and begin to mouth the words of songs, many of them almost expressionless, emotionless. And, and you, can, um, you can watch them and observe them in this state. And after which these songs are, are sung, they, they sit down and passively listen to someone talk at them for a period of time about this apparently caring and loving person who loves them personally and died for them to set them free. And you can watch some of them get a little uneasy as the time for the end of the ceremony approaches. And as the ceremony ends, the crowd moves towards the exit of the building and you hear them, as this visitor kind of observing, you hear them conversing with one another about something that has happened the previous evening. They smiled and they laughed as they recount the another ceremony that they'd been to, apparently a bit more interesting than this one. This is a ceremony that happens on Saturdays. In fact, you observe through the week that this Saturday ceremony is almost all these people talk about. Even the people who are at the Sunday ceremony are strangely silent about what they heard about there, but are very enthusiastic about this Saturday ceremony, which can't seem to get here soon enough you as a visitor, your curiosity's peaked. You're thinking, this is awesome. You now eagerly await this Saturday ceremony. You see people wake up early dressed in something special that they love to wear for this Saturday ceremony. Many people drive from miles and miles and miles to gather together in the thousands for this Saturday ceremony. They get here early for this one. They eat, they drink, they laugh, and they play, not just with their family and friends, but with complete strangers. You've never seen community like this before. And when the time comes, they all, all of these people, tens of thousands enter a large temple or a coliseum, and they raise their voices with passion, and their bodies emote with excitement and applaud as an assembly of young people they don't know play a game on a field. At the start of the ceremony, they shout and sing at the top of their voices, nearly losing their voices, much louder than they did at the previous Sunday ceremony. They don't look at their watches in this ceremony. In fact, they're so engulfed in what they're sitting in, they actually get excited when it goes into what they call overtime. (laughs) Because going long is a sign of a really exciting game. You also notice it's not just the people at the ceremony that are celebrating, but there are people gathering in homes together to watch this ceremony from all over the place on what they call a television. Although you observe most of them are large enough to be a movie screen. (laughs) They tell you they're designed this way to make the watching of this ceremony as engaging and as immersive as possible. Yes. Now, If you were that person, that visitor that came into this city to visit us, to visit the Temecula Valley and observe kind of society, which would you say is the most valued and treasured subject to these people, these Temeculans, the one who loves them and died for them that we talked about on the Sunday ceremony or the sports team? From the Saturday ceremony. What's worth more to these Temeculans? Maybe for you in this analogy, um, it's not the sports team that would be observed as the most treasured thing. Maybe you're like me and it's your job or the work that you put your hands to or your career or your spouse, your kids. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's how many likes you get on social media. That's the ceremony that gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what you live for, to perform well, for everyone to like you, to earn your paycheck. It's all you talk about. It consumes you from morning till night in your thoughts, in your deeds, in your affections, See, friends, all of us at times misplace our worship. And again, the Bible calls the object of our misplaced worship idols. And there are a couple things to note about idols that we need to be aware of. They're not always bad things. Sometimes they're good things. The trouble for us is when these good things become God things. When they take the place of God as the most treasured or valued thing. And here's the thing about idols, they lie. They make promises that they can't keep. Promises of lasting satisfaction, of lasting pleasure, lasting comfort, lasting security, and lasting approval. You see, every idol promises something that only Jesus can deliver. So I'm gonna ask, what do you treasure most above all things? Or rather, what one thing in your life could you not do without? What one thing, if you lost it, you couldn't go on? I can't hang it up, that's it. If that's anything other than God, then you, like me, you've misplaced your worship and you're being deceived. And not only that, you're rejecting God as God. Almighty all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. He's not who he says he is in that instance. So like I mentioned before, this is a sweet season where I get to do life in community, in gospel-centered community with my family, with my dad. Um, It's really cool. It's been a long time, and um, I'm so, so grateful for this season. But one thing about my dad... Um, is growing up in our house, my dad always used to take care of his things. He took really good care of his things. He cared about their state and their condition. Uh, To this day, he does, especially his music gear. My dad's a musician. Many of you have seen him up there playing with us, Um, especially his music gear. Always well-maintained, polished, polished well taken care of. He really cares about that stuff in a good way. It actually taught me um, some things I didn't realize growing up until I was reflecting on this. Um, Almost to a fault though, where I get a little OCD. If I see Cassie, she'll break a glass and I'm like, ah, no. I watch her slam cupboards, like moving around, cleaning. And I'm like, just calm down. We're going to be okay. Slow down. Um, But it makes me a little uneasy. Um, Maybe you can relate. Pop. So I remember a story um, we are sitting in our living room. I was much younger. Um, Tom is my older brother, as I mentioned. We're sitting in our living room, and for my fortieth birthday, or excuse me, my fortieth, not forty yet, for my dad's fortieth birthday. Let me clarify. Um, my mom had purchased for him and gifted him with a, a guitar, an acoustic guitar, probably my favorite guitar on the market today. It's a Martin D twenty eight guitar. This is nineteen ninety seven. For his 40th birthday, he was gifted this, and it was like a, oh, he opened the guitar case, and it was just, the thing sings. It's incredible. It's a beautiful guitar. I hear you. Yep. Um, and, and I remember how we all kind of like, wow, this is a beautiful guitar. So we're sitting in the living room. It's me, my brother, my dad. He's playing his guitar that's probably only a few weeks old at this point. Um, and, it's a f- and there's a friend of my brother's there in the living room with us. And I'm kind of off in the distance back over here uh, observing from our dining room. And they're sitting in the living room where there's like, you know, a couch here and a, and a sofa or a loveseat here. And so Tom's friend is sitting here. Tom is sitting over here on the couch with my dad who's playing his guitar. And Tom's friend sitting in the sofa, is eating Starburst. And he's digging, and he's like, hey, Tom, you want a Starburst? And Tom's like, yeah, yeah, make sure it's a pink one, though. Because we all know yellow, orange, not, not the best. You want to get the red and pink ones if you can. For those of you that like the yellow the orange ones, talk to me after, we'll pray for you. <laughs> but uh, Tom's like, yeah, throw one over here. And so uh, my brother's friend grabs one of the pink Starbursts and kind of flings it across the room. And it's a it's a living room, so it's a good sized room. Um, and I watch, kind of again from a distance, I'm watching as this thing kind of flies through the air and kind of slow motion. And I watch Tom kind of go up and reach for it. And bearing in mind, my dad's sitting right here with his brand new D twenty eight guitar. They're hard to come by, let's put it that way. And this 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 starburst kind of flings through the air, and Tom kind of misses it, and it goes right into the top of my dad's brand new guitar. And remember, my dad really takes good care of his stuff. (laughs) And so my dad, who takes such good care of his things, now has this forever ding on his guitar because we wanted to fling a starburst instead of hand it to my brother. And so my dad, kind of a little tense, (laughs) kind of stands up and like, uh, uh, and I'm sure there's nothing but gracious thoughts going through his head at the time. 20-some years ago, and he gets up and he just kind of turns and walks out of the room with his guitar. And let me tell you, to this day, Tom and I have not heard the end of that story. His his guitar has this forever ding because of a starburst. So I want to kind of take us into another parallel universe again. Imagine with me, considering my dad, who takes good care of his things, Consider that Tom and I are about this stage of life, and we're younger. You know, he's probably a preteen. I'm even younger. And my dad leaves Tom and I at home when we're younger, and he leaves us with one task. He says, hey, take care of this guitar. It's my baby. Look after it. Care for it. Make sure nothing happens to it until I return. And he would always say this. He would say, it's all going to be yours someday anyway, so take good care of it. All right, Dad. So dad leaves. Tom and I are in the house. I'm a young, spunky kid. If you didn't know me when I was a kid, you would have thought, oh my gosh, he is Energizer Bunny. I would run around. It was fantastic. I had a great time as a kid. Um, Yeah, I did some terribly stupid things on impulse. Um, But with that, I'm running around the house, and then I come downstairs, and I see dad's guitar (laughs) is sitting out on a stand, and I'm like, that looks fun. I'm going to go play with that. So I go pick up the guitar, and I play it, and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, you know, I'm old enough where I'm playing guitar. At this point, I'm like, this is incredible. This thing's amazing. And my brain, with my imaginative childlike state, I start imagining I'm in an arena, so I get into my power stance, and I'm rocking out, and I'm banging on this thing now at this point. I am playing, you know, Good readings by... uh, I green day, because that's all I probably knew at that point. And I am jamming on it. And then I do a quick wham, and I do a slam, and boom, right into the coffee table. Oh, no. Oh. But I'm like, no big deal, man. This is a rock show. I got thousands of people to impress. The show must go on. And so I keep going, and I try to fling around, bam, on the headstock. Oh, no. The show must go on. And I keep rocking out, and I realize, a boom, another ding, another nick here or there. I'm not really taking good care of this thing, but I am having a blast because I'm impulsive and I'm having fun as a kid. And now I realize as I'm digging into this guitar with a guitar pick made of metal um, <laughs> that, uh, that these strings, they're rather bouncy. Like they have some good, good uh, you know, tensile strength. They can spring something. And so I think, hmm. For this rock show, it would probably be really fun if, if there was some pyrotechnics and I kind of flung into the air. And so I mount the guitar across two tables and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be great. And I try a trampoline and I take a jump, spring off the guitar, it's beautiful, everybody's cheering, fireworks go off. I go at least three and a half, four feet, which in my mind is like 25 feet, you know, at the time. And I land and I'm like, this is, this is awesome. And I turn around. And the guitar is broken, in two. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's not good. It's dinged. It's broken. It's not even really recognizable as a guitar anymore. It's a couple pieces of wood tied together with some metal string. And it's like, ooh. But I'm like, whatever. I'm an impulsive kid, so I keep running around the house, find something else to do, to, uh, to, uh, I guess, serve my boredom. And then Tom comes downstairs. And he sees this and he goes, oh my, this isn't good. Now mind you, this is a parallel universe, this didn't actually happen. But he comes downstairs and he sees this and he calls me out, he goes, Mark, what happened? How did this come about? You know, because Tom was up in his room playing his own punk rock stuff, loud, he couldn't hear anything that was going on. But he comes downstairs and he kind of calls me out on this, What Dad, he's going to freak. And now I start to feel sorry. I start to realize what I had done. And I freak out a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm both sorry that oh, my dad's going to be heartbroken. But he's also going to be really mad. But there's nothing that I can do about it. I mean, I'm not a guitar luthier. I can't, I can't fix this. This is broken beyond repair. So fast forward, dad comes home. Tom and I are in our separate quadrants of the house, uh, me still operating impulsively, figuring out something to do. Dad comes home, opens the door, and we hear, boys, come down here now. And I'm like, oh, crap. Here it goes. And so imagine with me, I'm walking downstairs, and I see my dad with his back turned like this. And he turns around. And he's holding the guitar in his hands. And I observe the guitar is sparkling as though it was brand new. I'm like, what? And my dad says, boys, thank you for polishing my guitar and taking such good care of it. Thank you for listening to my words and doing exactly as I asked. Thank you. You see, my older brother, while I was off being impulsive, doing my own thing, the guitar is sitting in shambles. After he discovered what I had done, he repaired what I had broken. He made right what I had made wrong. And that's all my dad saw was a polished guitar. That's all he knew. That's all he saw. Friends, friends, Don't you see, Jesus is our older brother who repaired what we destroyed. Who made right what we made wrong. When we disobeyed God and worshipped idols, whatever will fulfill me in the moment, Jesus worshipped perfectly and he did it in our place for us. And when the father looks at you, he could not be more pleased. Isn't it beautiful? Jesus treasured the father above anything else to the point of the cross. Jesus' perfect worship covers our misplaced worship. When God looks at us, he sees the perfectly polished guitar that we wrecked. He sees it perfectly polished because of Jesus. When you see what he's done and that he did that for you, guess what you will treasure more than anything? When we trust in this, The gospel, Jesus in our place, his perfect life for us, his death on the cross so that we could be resurrected into new life and with our Father. When you trust in this, it actually motivates us to worship Jesus because of his grace. It changes our perspective and transforms our hearts to see him for who he truly is. Perfect loving, all-satisfying, forever. It's beautiful. How many of you have heard um, of this this house in Hemet? It's a terribly tragic story. It's called the House of Horrors. Have any of you heard of this? Yeah? Raise your hands. Are you guys with me? Have you heard of this? A couple of us? Okay. There's this house in Hemet. There's a family with 13 children in this family. Um, and from birth until, um, I mean, until their, for the extent of their lives living in this home, their parents had abused them and held them captive. I mean, it was terrible, you guys. They were chained to their beds. They were abused. They were fed maybe once a week. I mean, these people were starved. These poor kids. It was horrible. It was pure evil. I mean, you think your parents are supposed to be the safest place for you. I mean, all they know is this. All they know is being chained to their beds. Maybe I'll eat this week. It's terrible. It's all they've ever known. They've been captive their whole lives and they don't know any other way. They have no contrast to that. And this happens for the eldest of these 13. For 29 years, 29 years she's in this environment. This is in our backyard, guys. This happened. This is real. After 29 years, could you imagine what it would feel like to be freed from that? Could you imagine the contrast of freedom observing that's not how it's supposed to be? I'm free now. Can you imagine what what that would do in your heart? Oh my gosh, this is amazing. You walk outside, you breathe in fresh air almost for the first time, you see sunlight. Oh, imagine how that would feel. Imagine that. See friends, the Bible describes idolatry as slavery and captivity. And you obey what you worship. If you worship approval, you will do whatever the idol of approval requires of you. Like embellish a story to impress people. Or maybe you won't do or participate in things you know you should out of fear of how people will react. If you worship control, you will do whatever the idol of control requires of you, like snap at your children when they're being inconvenient. You are a slave in captivity to whatever you worship. Spiritually speaking, some of you are like those kids in that house. You're in captivity. And you don't know any other way. You've never experienced the freedom of the sunlight and the open fields with no fear or worry. Others of you, you've been set free, but you're running back to the house. You're submitting yourselves back to slavery, back to the captives again. But the gospel says that God became a man and lived the perfect life Worshiping God perfectly, holding him in the highest esteem, obeying him perfectly, and died the death that we deserved for all of your misplaced worship. For all of us. And do you know why? Do you know why he did that? To set the captive free. Come on. Let me ask you another question. Are you a person who's held captive? Here's how you know if you're held captive to idols. Whatever keeps you from freely and openly worshiping Jesus is what's holding you captive thoughts, feelings, emotions. What will they think of me? That will be very uncomfortable. That's scary. Whatever keeps you from freely and openly worshiping Jesus is what's holding you captive. That is the God that you worship. That's the thing that you ascribe the most worth to, that has the most value, that is most treasured. But, friends, the gospel frees us from captivity of worshiping idols that will never deliver, so we can worship God instead. The idol will lead you to the grave, to death. But Jesus, he's so different. Jesus doesn't lead you to death, Jesus dies in your place so that you can have life life abundant, life everlasting, a hope of the life to come where there's no more pain, no more suffering, where we see Jesus clearly, we observe him, we behold him. Jesus dies in your place so you can have that life now. Not only is he worthy of our worship, but when we worship him above all things, we experience life the way that it was intended for us. We're free. No more bondage to these idols that we'll never deliver. We're free. We can worship the one who always satisfies. So, what's holding you back from freely worshiping, from openly worshiping Jesus? I'll ask it again. What's holding you back from freely and openly worshiping Jesus. Whatever it is, Jesus offers you grace for your misplaced worship. And he offers you the opportunity to worship the only thing that will ever bring you true joy and lasting satisfaction, himself. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to give us a lens into what perfect worship looks like. Thank you for not leaving us alone in our endless search to find fulfillment, satisfaction, Worth. Thank you that you value us so much that you came and left the comfort of heaven and took on the limitation of flesh to worship perfectly in our place, to obey the Father perfectly in our place, and die the death that we deserve for separating ourselves from you, for worshiping other idols. That can never deliver what they promise. Thank you, Jesus, for dying and covering our misplaced worship so that we now are free to worship you. You receive our prayers as perfect offerings of worship because of you, King Jesus. It's so beautiful. Holy Spirit, I pray now just for all of us in this room. Would we, in this moment, just take a minute? Would we just be able to breathe in a big breath of reality right now? I ask, Holy Spirit. Would we breathe you in, Holy Spirit, your breath in our lungs? we see King Jesus as beautiful? May these not just be words and ideas that Jesus truly satisfies, but would we see you, Jesus? Holy Spirit, reveal the beauty of King Jesus to us, please, I ask. Would we see the nuances of his character and the details of his goodness, not just globally, but for us? For the ways that we misplace our worship, would we see the ways that Jesus perfectly worshipped in our place and would that stir in us please Holy Spirit a heart filled with gratitude overflowing and restoring our worship back into the one who's worthy back to you Father would we now choose to worship you over all things through song through the way that we care for each other with the whole of our lives would we worship you and treasure you, King Jesus, above all things, because you are so worthy. Help us, Holy Spirit. We cannot do it apart from you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.